This conversation was recorded a while ago. Not quite sure how long ago, but it's one of those conversations that's really weird for me now when I'm editing it because Charlie is somebody that I know really much better now. She's a part of Stand Up Tragedy. She's a part of the team. I went up to Edinburgh with her this year and I know her very well. In fact, this isn't her first time on Getting Better Acquainted. In fact, she was in the Stand Up Tragedy at the Edinburgh Festival special that came out a few weeks ago. And in that, we're talking really familiarly in this conversation. We're still getting to know each other. I'm not sure that everything I say is correct. Like when I'm trying to to, to get to get to know her, I don't think I always get who she is correct in this conversation. And she corrects me, I think. And you can hear that. Me understanding where she's coming from is a different place from where I thought because I was just getting to know her. I booked her to do a true story at Stand Up Tragedy, a version of the story that we're talking about in this conversation. And I thought it would be a nice idea to put her performance into this episode. You know when it's your birthday and people are singing happy birthday to you? Yeah. And they're looking at you. Do you enjoy that or just not enjoy it? Um, no. You don't enjoy it? Okay, interesting. But I do think I do like attention. Right. But not that kind of okay. attention. So I'm one of those people that, like, when they're singing that song... I'll be like, I'll stop it, like, but I'll really enjoy it. I really like okay. it. I do quite like the, uh, it makes me look quite important. Because I'm <laughs> holding the microphone yeah, yeah, yeah. for people listening. So I've turned the microphone on as well, so we're recording now. And we're in the BFI coffee shop. That's and right. it, yeah, it does look like you're a celebrity yeah, being yeah, interviewed. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just holding waiting for people to start looking at me. Yeah, it's not people happening will yet. come over to you and say, you know, where do I know you from? Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Charlie. Hello Charlie. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) The first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? I know you from Spark London which is a live storytelling night that happens. I go to the Brixton one, I see you there, I've seen you there, met you there. Um, and yeah, you've had people talk about Spark on your podcast before. But yeah, I, I, I think regular listeners will probably have an yeah, idea yeah. of what Spark is, but there's always the new listeners. That but it shows, actually, there's so many people from your podcast you have met through Spark. It's a very good way of connecting people, isn't it? I've met a lot of really cool people from that. Yeah. in that environment yeah oh yeah. yeah absolutely well Spark London who I work for uh, their tagline our tagline is uh, connecting people through stories so oh. <laughs> it kind of works that way yeah, and it's yeah, definitely yeah, true yeah. I mean uh, and actually I, I'm trying to sort of in my hackney night I'm trying to think of more ways to get the audience to talk to each other right. I think we were talking about that outside the night the last yeah. time you, when you, were, you came down for that yeah and having that like blurred boundary between audience and and storyteller oh yeah because like, I did some comedy like the other night and I'd, I'd not really done any like I'm my second stand up gig ever and I didn't really get comedy protocol like I went in and I had friends there and I sat in the audience with them and then like slowly dawned on me that like the performers stand at the back and then they come to the front. And I realised it was really weird that I was in the audience and then I got up and I, the compere was a bit nervous about it. And, you know, that for me was really nice, you know, like the, an audience member gets up and that, it's not, there's not that separation between like performer and observer. It's like a much more collective yeah. 
thing. But yeah, like totally got that wrong when I was doing comedy. Yeah, although it's quite nice breaking down that barrier. Yeah. That, that's the thing. I mean, and I think, I mean, I was talking to a comedian the other month about gigs and she was saying that quite often comedians after they've done their set do go and sit in the audience yeah I think so, I, yeah, and, I whereas think other performers don't don't right. break that wall at all do you know yeah. what I mean quite liked it and then when it was like oh and welcome to the stage Charlie it was like oh surprise like from the audience no one knew <laughs> like, <laughs> it's quite a dramatic entrance yeah. what Spark London is is it's a true storytelling night right. which we do three in London a month and two of them are open mics. The Brixton one you were talking about is an open mic. Yes. How did you come to come to that, that open mic? Uh, my housemate, Virginie, ah. texted me saying... Uh, um, a sort of mutual acquaintance yes, there, someone who I should get on the show. Definitely. She texted me saying, I'm in Brixton having a drink. Do you want to join me? I was coming back from something. I said yes. It turned out to be a storytelling night. And then I got that really into it. <laughs> did you get up on the first night? No. Okay. She got up, she told a story. And I just thought, this is good. This is like therapy, with, uh, where you're allowed to drink. That's what <laughs> my friend Steve was saying. He was like, why should only people with like alcohol problems and drug addictions have that forum of like people standing up and telling their stories and sharing in that way? Like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. why should you have to have like an addiction to qualify? So this is kind of like the way it's set up, that sharing for people, for anyone. Well, no, you're right. I yeah, mean, yeah. And there's definitely, I've definitely felt that that kind of feeling, like it's a, like you, like you say, like an Alcoholics Anonymous yeah, yeah. meeting, because because we have themes for each one. Right. It's like everybody's getting up and confessing their relationship with that theme. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. The other night, I mean, we were you there for the Brixton one the other night? Sports was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that felt like like everyone was getting up and kind of talking about their problems with yeah, sport yeah, yeah. almost a lot of it was yeah, and, that, and that was kind of how their lives have been like affected in a right. in a negative way by sports yeah. sometimes and a positive way and I guess that's yeah, what yeah. an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting yeah. is like yeah. yeah it's good I really like it yeah no it's cool and you're good at it as well like I think because like me you have probably not, not very many boundaries <laughs> 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 you just find yourself talking about things like I'm like that. Like I think that was like the other night at Spark when we when we when we were talking afterwards and we we got quite drunk. Yeah. Like that. I I, I thought, hang on, this is a kindred spirit because we are talking like about vastly uh, vastly socially inappropriate yeah, things yeah, to yeah. talk about so quickly with somebody. Right. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that can go wrong with some people. Oh yeah, right? oh it definitely goes goes wrong with. Yeah. It, like if you're at a dinner party, there I want to get there straight away. I don't want to talk about the brand of wine we're drinking. Yeah, well that's yeah. the thing. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean I, I always that's how I always describe myself. Of like I, like when I I don't really do small talk. Like I might start talking about sex like straight away yeah. the first time I meet someone. That 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 was a lot of years of that didn't work. Uh, I think I'm I'm getting a balance now. I'm sort of learning. Right. Social like, code. Yeah, but not too much. Mm, like no, I, I think it's like don't yeah. turn it up too much. Just be slightly aware of the other person's yeah. emotional state, where they're yeah. at, and stuff. And don't like kind of force your thoughts onto them. But at the same yeah. time, I think it's really liberating to not do small talk. That's what yeah. this this show is almost about. Yeah. Really, it's like let's get into a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a good filtering mechanism as well because if you're at a party and you, you say those sorts of things and people switch off you think well move on to the next person who does want to talk about sex the second question that I ask everybody yeah. is what do you do now what do I do now at the moment I have three jobs I'm a chef so I cook tapas food in Brixton 
part-time. My other job is I work for a local newspaper in Brixton called the Brixton Block. Right. And I bring in the money for them and help out with their stuff. And the other job is I look after children two days a week, so nanny. So pick them up from school, what take age? them home. I um, <laughs> think like... 8, 10 and 13. Okay. But it's really confusing because the 8 year old looks about 5 and the 10 year old looks about 13. I've only just like worked out their, their ages. Like the treat, yeah. And I take them for bike rides. It's quite fun. I think children bring joy into your life. Like, yeah. that you kind of, they say stuff like, like the stuff that like, me and my brother would say to each other. Me and my brother still have quite a childish way of talking to each other even though I'm 25 and he's 30. And so, like, you know, you're walking along the street and the kid will say, like, biggest dog in Stockwell lives in that house. <laughs> and that's just, like, a really nice, like, you know, there's, like, no, there's no, like, nothing to that, you know. It's the sort of things that me and my brother say to each other, just, like, biggest dog in Stockwell lives in that house. Just, like, statements like that I find quite joyful. So I like having those, those children two days a week. They three do. jobs. I mean, I, I work with kids as well, like, yeah. so I definitely find that it's yeah. refreshing to have filterless people like yeah. maybe that's like what we were saying before like we don't have very much filter so it's right. really nice and really so basically children yeah, well, it's, we yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's good. and it's kind of like liberating to be around people who are the, who are the same <laughs> they haven't got those those, yeah. those walls in place yet. Yeah. but I mean I, I definitely find that like working with kids gives me kind of a, a battery recharge mm. like in a, in, a, in a good way are there any children that you don't like because um, like it's a weird thing like to not like, like I've got a child I look after a child sometimes it's really really difficult and I, I, I don't know do you ever find yourself like I work with kids under yeah. five right so <laughs> I, I think it's hard to find a child under five and I've said this before I think on the show that I haven't there's there's not a child under five that you can't see a, a lovely person right, inside yeah, yeah, yeah. You can maybe see a not nice person inside as well, and they're at that stage of like they could go okay, either way. Friends, it really depends yeah. on the adults in their lives and their yeah. life circumstances, which way they go. So, yeah. I've only ever met one child who I thought I didn't like, right? But then a few months later, he proved me wrong and actually yeah. completely yeah. turned around. There's a load of very annoying children, yeah. don't get me wrong, there's a lot of children who annoy me, but it's mostly things that I think they're. <laughs> parents are responsible right. like like it's, it's more the, the the fact that they are allowed to get away with being annoying than actually the child that I have a problem with generally yeah. it's funny how we don't, back, you wouldn't make that justification for an adult then you know like it's funny know, how yeah I might because I'm might, a yeah. bit weird like yeah. that I definitely get like grief from friends who are like stop being so like trying to find excuses and reasons why people are the way okay, they are right. but at the same time there comes a point where you've where someone is responsible for themselves, yeah. aren't they? So, yeah. I mean, I definitely have sympathy with people who have had complicated upbringings or whatever that make them into hard adults to be around. You might describe my mother that way. And I, I try to have sympathy and understanding for my mother who tries her hardest to be a good person, and she is a good person, but she also has all of this baggage from child. I guess I do too. Yeah. I guess everyone does. I'm sure you do. We'll get into that. In fact, probably now. I mean, childhood baggage section. Well, that's the thing, because I, I, I was saying, I mean, that, that night that we got drunk yeah. uh, <laughs> and had a weird conversation, I was also talking to my friend Matt about yeah. doing a, a GBA with an, another guy that was there, and uh, 
he was saying the thing about the smart conversations that I have on the show is they're, they're people who I'm kind of a stranger to, yeah. but at the same time know really intimate details yeah, yeah, about yeah. in a way that sometimes, like my closest friends, I don't know yeah. these kind of anecdotes about. Right. But I happen to have heard uh, at, twice at least, and probably more times in the future, a story that you told at Spark about a, a rat. <laughs> about a rat. About a rat. We're going to have a true story from Charlie Lucy Harrison. Uh, she's a storyteller, an up-and-coming stand-up comedian. She sparkled at Spark London events and is now bringing one of her tragic stories to stand-up tragedy. So, round of applause. We've already started for Charlie Lucy Harrison. Wow. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, can you hear me at the back? Yeah. Woo! Okay, good. Uh, so we've had stories about the Holocaust. We've had stories about paedophilia. We've had stories about dementia. My story's about a rat, so we can all relax. All relax. Just relax now. Um, I've been thinking about tragedy and how tragedy is basically... Uh, it's about contrast tragedy. So in tragedy, you get massive highs and you get massive lows. And nowhere is that more true than when you're a child. So you'll know this if you've ever seen a child on the street crying, like, ah, you know, you know that that is the worst thing that's ever happened to that child in that moment. Uh, my story is about, uh, it's a tragedy that happened to me as a child and explains why I'm so fucked up. <laughs> okay, my 11th birthday was the best birthday ever. It's the best birthday ever. My 12th birthday was the worst. Okay, so on my 11th birthday, uh, I'm 11, I, I sort of lived the kind of suburban middle-class dream. I lived in a place called Ryslip. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, Ryslip, man. DFS in Ryslip. Land of leather. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a place called Rice. It was a great place to live when you're 11. Probably not a great place to live at any other age, but it's a great place to live when you're 11. We had the woods. I sort of lived with my mum and my dad and my brother in this lovely house. We had two cars. Um, I was sort of living the dream, and things couldn't get much better until they actually did. On my 11th birthday, my grandmother, who was a very nice lady, uh, she gave me 50 pounds for my birthday, and she said, yeah. She said, do whatever you want with this money. Um, you know, and that's quite a lot of power as an 11-year-old, you know, that you do whatever you want. There was only one thing that I wanted as an 11-year-old girl, and that was a best friend. <sighs> thanks, guys, thanks. Um, and when I realized 50 pounds couldn't get me a human, um, I went for the next best thing, which was a pet rat. Now, has anyone in the audience ever had a pet rat? Woo! You've had a pet rat. What was your rat called? Mouse and mole. Two, mouse and mole. Nice, good. Rat connection. Yeah. Uh, my rat was called Wilbur, and Wilbur became my best friend. Me and Wilbur were inseparable from the moment I got him. Uh, we were sort of like Bonnie and Clyde. We did everything together. He went around in my sleeve and on my shoulder. If you've ever kind of fallen in love... Imagine that kind of process. <laughs> that was what happened between me and Wilbur. We used to talk about everything. We used to talk about how I was going to become more popular at school. 
um, how I was going to finish up my Spice Girls photo collection album. It just, you know, confide, yes, Spice Girl photos. Yeah, um, so we'd just talk about everything, and it was wonderful. It was a wonderful life. A couple of months after this 11th birthday, uh, we're sat at family dinner, Sunday lunch, conservative family, you know, and my mum, who... Until this moment, has only really been famed for her ability to get out stains out of, um, out of clothes, and uh, she makes a great cottage pie. She decided to announce quite calmly to the family that she was leaving the conservative family home to fulfill her dream of becoming a real-life lesbian. <laughs> Not only was she becoming a real-life lesbian, but she was having a relationship with someone from the local church who I like to call Janet from another planet. <laughs> so obviously, cue loads and loads of drama, my dad having a nervous breakdown, you know, all kind of drama, and me and Wilbur, our relationship takes another kind of deeper level. We stop talking about popularity in Spice Girls, we start talking about the spectrum of sexuality the institution of marriage and what love really is. So, you know, there's all this drama happening and me and my mum, we have to leave the family home. Um, and luckily, a local friend, her name's Val, she takes us in um, so we can live there until we find a place. Um, unfortunately, you know, I was kind of going along with all this. You've got to remember, I was quite sort of eager to please 11-year-olds. So I just thought, yeah, we're going to live with Val. But... The worst thing about this was Val has a phobia of rats, right? So my best friend, my confidant, had to go elsewhere. Janet from another planet decides that she's going to kind of build a bridge here. And she says, don't worry, I'll have the rat and I'll keep it in my office. You can come over, you can play with it. And so I guess this was kind of an idea. And I said, okay, this is fine. You might have, you know, broken up my perfect dream life, but you'll look after my rat, cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so I guess this was an idea that would build a bridge. Or so she thought. Uh, so I'm living with Val, I'm, I'm sharing a room with like an eight-year-old, fat eight-year-old, obnoxious child, and I'm sort of going along with it, I'm just sort of trying to be best friends to my mum and sort things out, and a few months go past, it comes to my 12th birthday, and of course I love birthdays, my 11th birthday was the best birthday ever, as we know. I'm so excited um, because Val has turned around. She, obviously, she knows I've had a tough year. And she says, um, Charlie, I know you've had, you know, it's been difficult, uh, uh, you know, what you've been through. But for your 12th birthday, you can have a party here. And not only can you have a party, but you can bring the rat. For one day only, Wilbur, the rat, can come and join us. So I'm really, really excited about this. I'm just thinking, you know, birthdays are a time where you can kind of escape from the, from the depressing nature of life. So it's just like, oh, brilliant. You know, really, really excited about this. And I didn't have many friends at the time, but some of my mum's friends said they'd come, which was quite nice. And so, I'm, you know, and my mum's found a flat as well. So I wake up on my 12th birthday, and I think everything's going to be all right, you know. Everything's going to be all right. My mum's found a flat. We're going to go live there, and it's all good. Wilbur's coming over. I've decided to make it a joint birthday party, because, of course, I got Wilbur a year previously. So I make the invitations. Charlie and Wilbur's birthday party. Hand them out. Really, really excited. I got a fuse bar. Remember the fuse bar? I got writing icing, and I wrote Wilbur on it as a sort of tribute birthday cake. 
I'm so excited, so I wake up, it's five sleeps, it's four sleeps, it's three sleeps, it's two sleeps, it's one sleep, and I wake up and I'm 12 and I'm really, really excited, and we get into my mum's Volvo, we drive to Janet from another planet's office, and I get there, and I'm being a bit silly because it's my birthday and I'm really excited. So, you know, I'm sort of singing and I thought, I'll sing happy birthday to the rat. And we get out into the office, I get in, happy birthday to you. I run over the cages there as normal, happy birthday to you. See the rat, Wilbur's having a little sleep, like for probably a disco nap for the party. Happy birthday, dear Wilbur. I pick up, I touch the rat and kind of try and sort of wake him up. And he's quite cold. But, you know, it's quite a cold office, so, you know, I thought that's to be expected. Happy birthday to you. And I pick up Wilbur, and his little claws are clutching the hay from the cage, and he's in a spasmodic heart attack pose. Wilbur's dead. And that's not where the tragedy ends, because, of course, you know, then we had this party plan. My mum's friends were back at Val's house, waiting with presents for Wilbur to open. Then I have to sit in my mum's Volvo with a dead rat in a cage. And, you know, that whole year, from 11 till 12, I hadn't cried once. And as I sat there with a dead rat in a cage on my lap, ready to go to the shittest birthday party ever, a year of tears flooded over me. And I cried and cried and cried. And the reason, the reason I've been thinking about this story, really, is because I've been looking over my old diaries recently and trying to work out why I'm so fucked up, I guess. And <laughs> uh, one of the things, I mean, when I found my diaries from a 12-year-old girl, my 12-year-old self writing, I was quite geeky, so I used to make these lists. And this is what kind of made me think about this story, and so I was going to tell you tonight. I found this list in my 12-year-old diary, and it said, 10 reasons I hate Janet from another planet. Number one, she killed my rat. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've been Charlie Harrison. Thanks for coming tonight. Appreciate it. Do you want to give a bit of context before I start okay, asking you so questions? Summing up the story, my mum's lesbian lover killed my pet rat is the, is the shortened version. That's pretty much the yeah. punchline, yeah, or the, <laughs> <laughs> the punchline of your, of your childhood. Um, if I was to sum up my childhood in uh, whatever words, that would be it. My mum's lesbian lover killed my pet rat. That was it, because you had a pet rat and you were using this pet rat kind of as, as a... As a friend. As a friend. I a mean, counsellor. Yeah. I mean, that's something also I can relate to, you know, feeling isolated in your childhood, in your yeah. peer group. Mm. Um, I didn't have a rat. I had a dog for a while. I had a hamster for a while, but I didn't have the kind of relationship that you had with your rat. Yeah. I, I kind of wish I did. I, I kind of had it with my own mind, which right. drives you a bit crazy, I think, Yeah. when you're feeling isolated as a, as a child. But, I mean, that sounds like it was a very complicated year for you because, like, you're 12, so you're, like, you're coming into adolescence. Your mum leaves your dad for another woman. Yeah. Which is something that I guess hadn't been on your radar much as a possibility, or is that no. not fair to say? No, it hadn't. Um, I think I was uh, very accepting of it. So I was 11 or 12 or whatever, and I was just very eager to please. I just, when I was younger, I just, I'm a people pleaser, really. Um, so. Yeah, I was all like that, but I think for my brother, 
who was five years older than me. Right. Who went? I went to a private school that was like oh, far, far further away from my home, but he grew up more locally. And he was 15, and he was doing his GCSEs. And what are the two worst things you can say in the playground? You're gay and your mum. So they yeah, had like the double yeah, whammy, yeah, yeah, like yeah, your mum's yeah, gay. Your mom's gay. <laughs> yeah, like, and I think actually got a bit of stick for it. And I've only really kind of realised that recently. And I might, yeah, I think for him it was harder. For him, I don't know, maybe a, a, a male relationship with a mother. I don't know. But yeah, for me, I, I kind of think it's mainly. I, I guess I can probably use it to make my character a bit more interesting. You know, use it as a story. Like it's, it's something that. Yeah, it's a quirk now. Yeah, right. that, that's now though. But when right. you, when you when you tell that story and you tell it very well, you go back to that kind of moment, yeah. like yeah. back then, and you weren't you weren't very happy in that year, right? No. Let's, let's be. Let's, let like the. I think it's fair to say that you know, having your. Uh, pet rat that is your only confidant accidentally I guess killed yeah, yeah, by your yeah, yeah. by your by your mum's partner uh, and, uh, and you found out on your birthday didn't yeah, you yeah I did on the yeah. day of your joint it was a party for you me, and your me and rat Wilbur, yeah um yeah me and Wilbur had a joint birthday which he couldn't attend because he was dead and there were presents the morning people had bought for the rat, for that's, the rat that's painful including a rat leash do you know you can get leashes for rats? No. They're like halters. Okay. Like you, there's a guy in Hyde Park that walks a ferret. And ah, in a similar way, you've yeah, seen yeah. him. And like when the dogs come up, he has to lift up the, the ferret <laughs> like, to, to get it away from dogs that are going to attack it. But I had, a, I, know, I was really looking forward to taking my rat for walks. That was going to be like a, a good thing. Um, but yeah, no, I've yeah, not had a rat since. But... <laughs> there's a couple of like parallels. I mean, so, I mean, there's... Like, is your brother your only sibling? Yes. So there's about five years between you and him. There's yeah. five years between you and him. There's five, there's six years between me and my older brother. Right. Six years between me and my little sister. Yeah. So I kind of like have a kind of it, it's a, it's an interesting gap, isn't it? Five years because yeah. you, you're not like friends when you're kids because you don't have the same. Uh, eight. You're not the same age. So it's a good gap though, because once I got to 16, my brother's like, "Yeah, you can come to the house party we're having if you bring fit friends." <laughs> and um, <laughs> my, my dad, I remember, I used to live in a house with my dad and my brother, and my dad just went travelling for six months just around the world, and we had this house to ourselves. And it's just like that would be like the quantifier, like, "Come, child, you can come as long as you bring your your attractive friends." So and, and then like you know it was quite a nice age gap for that because you start getting lifts and you start being interested in each other's mates yeah. and then there became this stage at like 17, 18 where because he was five years older when we were young yeah when we were younger because of his age he was always automatically the cooler sibling but um, I think I kind of like overtook being like the oh, coolest cool, sibling cool. around 18 like I've got him to admit this like, I'm now the coolest sibling oh yeah no it's, it's frustrating <laughs> it's when that happens nice to, to overtake me. my little sister's probably at universally considered cooler yeah. like if you put us like the general public would definitely find my sister cooler than yeah, me yeah 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 uh, that sounds I'm, quite loaded. I'm, cool, I'm cooler I'm for a niche. Cult, I'm more of a cult. Yeah, I'm more of a niche. Cool, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm more exclusively cool. You know, uh, she just appeals to the masses. <laughs> mainstream. She's kind of more cool. Like she's still an outsider, but she's right. like the more mainstream outsider. Okay. Let's say she doesn't right. wear weird, like weird hats. Right. And uh, like she's not Doctor Who weird. You were brought up by your dad as well, it sounds like. Um, it was all a bit mixed, really. Like, yeah, that's I like moved mine. in with my mum and my brother moved in with my dad. And then I think there was a part where 
I probably became a bit spoiled and just said, be like, fuck it, I'm moving in with dad. And, like, moving with dad for a bit until, like, because there you were allowed to, like, eat pot noodle and, like, watch all the Sky channels. Oh, which, cool. You know, like, there's obviously more love. Um, that's how I saw it. And oh, yeah, pot noodles are definitely pot love. Pot equals, yeah. yeah, more love from a parent. And, like, Derrily Lunchables as well. Like, my mum would never let me to have those. Oh, well. That you stack. Yeah. So they, they seem to qualify highly on that scale as well so yeah I guess a bit of a mix and now I mean I've spent the majority of time brought up by my mum and her partner Janet who's the one that killed the rat which yeah. we're now forgiving her for Janet yeah. from another planet um, <laughs> she they brought me up and they brought me up I'm, I'm like now I'm a bit older like really really well I'm glad I lived with them Janet was like really supportive um, I'm quite close to her she's really good for my mum they have a really nice relationship yeah. Like they have that relationship where, like if you if you're at a pot, like a dinner or something, and you see one of them talking, and the other one's like looking at the other, like looking at them, like really proud of each other, and they've just got something really lovely there that, yeah, that you don't see in like all couples, and I think it's a good example of like love and a, a sort of nice equal relationship yeah. that I, I didn't have before or maybe don't have with my dad and his partner or whatever sure, yeah. so yeah it's good that you had that that example yeah. as well I mean I certainly had I only had complicated uh, relationships as my as my models when yeah. I was growing up like my my dad uh, and my mum split up before I was born uh, like kind of the year I was like I I was conceived after they'd split up technically and so but they so they didn't they didn't kind of get on but they lived like my dad lived with us for quite a lot of time like in a separate part of the house like there was this yeah. weird time where we went like through to his part of the house for weekends okay um Did you live in a massive house no it sounds like it's big doesn't it but, it, <laughs> we but went it, to the wing they're the quite wing. handy we we're in the yeah. countryside so it was a okay, cottage yeah, yeah. and he's quite handy so he converted like quite like he oh, only had a tiny yeah, bit yeah, of space yeah. really to sleep in but he he had quite a, a big garage room which he converted into like two bunk bed type oh. things but it was like he went up these steps that he made from wood, like going up, it, like to the top bunk bed, which is where I slept, and it was like it was mega cool. Did you have a preferred side of the house then? Um, his was more exciting, let's say. Yeah, I think dads can t- take that role quite easily. Well, but... yeah, but he was also bringing it. Like he was actually like because he retired, he was bringing us up to a certain okay. extent. Just both my mum and my stepdad, who were living in the house as well, were, <laughs> were, were both like either working or studying. So, right. But like my dad's side of the house definitely was more magical because, like, he, for example, my dad's kind of interesting he like um had like the room where we had our beds the walls were all painted white and then there was these felt tip pens and everybody drew on them like Amazing. everyone who came to the house drew on them like it was called everybody's wall and it was designed to like no, be, i've had ideas be like that eggs. before i think like walls should be drawn on yeah. i i last night stayed at this squat my yeah, brother yeah, yeah. my brother lives in a squat at the moment in just near just lambeth north station and um, I wanted to leave a note this morning like to be like thanks for letting me stay guys because everyone's been really nice to me and I like, had a really cool experience yeah, yeah. and so I just got a pen and wrote it on the wall <laughs> like, like thanks guys it's like kind of irresponsible thing to do but there's enough writing on that wall anyway about yeah. everyone tagging and stuff so I just thought I'll leave my mark That's good. and like writing on walls is good man. and there's loads of, I've taken some photos loads of people have written really interesting quotes on the wall like yeah yeah I, li- I really like that idea well, do you should you should do that and you're, do you have you well, my dad now? still does it in his new in his current flat so when he moved out of that one he did it, it was everybody's door while we were in Coventry 
and then when he came to live in, when we went to live in Cardiff because I've lived all over the place he moved back in and with my mum even though just after my stepdad and my mum had split up my dad moved back in to look after us basically and it, me and my little sister who's not even his child but they have a child parent relationship anyway so he moved back in with us and then there was no everybody's wall but now he's moved into his place in London he has everybody's wall again and it's nice it's like all of the all of the kids who come they've all got their separate bits of the wall and like one of the things was is it was everybody's wall but he also made like um borders of bits so that like people would have like their own space within everybody's wall which was a kind of good way of thinking about society i think like like a collective space but also if you don't if you have don't have your own space that's yours then people kind of infringe on you and yeah. you don't feel like you've got any any space if everybody's if everyone can draw everywhere then you can never have your own picture do you know what I mean right. so it's like a good balance I think. yeah yeah uh, probably getting a bit too unnecessarily metaphorical there I, I really like that idea I could, if I own my own house I'd definitely have a uh, everyone's wall in it yeah you can't really do that when you're renting no no which absolutely is I agree I mean, I, yeah, there are lots of frustrations with renting, certainly. When you were 12, mm. that's when your parents got up. That's right. Like, 12 is when my mum and my stepdad split up as well, so I kind of relate to that age of that happening. I think it's a better age than, like, when you're younger. Like, right. I think it's harder when you're, like, about six, I reckon. That's okay. where old my sister was, I reckon. That's the, probably the hardest, because... By the time you're 12, you're slightly aware that these things can happen. But I wonder whether what we're doing here, right, is like feeling the, 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 the concern and the like troubles that we're feeling are for somebody else. So I'm saying like, I'm saying like, oh, it must have been hard for my brother because he was 15, five years older. And I'm feeling like, oh, I hope he's okay. And you're doing the same for your sister. You're like going, oh, like, it's probably harder at her age. I hope she's okay. And we're sort of feeling there. But actually, I don't it, well, know, it's, maybe it's, it's not, just... It doesn't have to be a league table, I guess that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just wondering whether, like, part of feeling troubled is feeling troubled because you're worried about other people and you're, you think, you know... Well, I think the thing that hurt me from my childhood wasn't the sp- was wasn't them splitting up it was them staying together for the years before right, yeah. that okay. like for, for me like uh, the fact that they split up is, was a good thing especially because it was my stepdad so I guess that's less it's less I've got less tied up with that but I, I mean that, that's what I always say to people who are like experiencing problems who have children of like look like don't stay together for the sake of your children because when that was done around me it was not that great and actually like yes sure if you can find a way of making it work staying together is is great for children but if you if that household is like lots of arguments and uh, hate and anger that's bad also like other partners are good sometimes influences like it's really i think yeah, it's really that's true. sometimes i meet people that have like uh, like if you have a sort of very very strong family, that's a really good thing, really positive thing. Obviously, and that could be really helpful for self confidence and every, lots of different things. But sometimes there can be a correlation between your view of the world maybe being, I don't know. Like I think having like this stranger Janet having to live with someone yeah. who wasn't necessarily related to me, someone with a very different upbringing. Yeah. And similarly, my dad's wife, you know, she's very different. You, you, you know, you're more open to things and kind of different viewpoints and stuff and, and different influences like that. So you can pick and choose from a variety of sources and form your own rather than just having your parents' collective 
view on the world yeah, yourself, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I, I definitely found that. I mean, I, I'm in a lot of ways, like, because I think a lot of my understanding of things was in, enhanced by knowing my stepdad sure. without a doubt. I mean, um, like, and as you say, he came from a completely different background. Yeah. And so I had three different people's backgrounds to influence me. And plus, very different temporary partners that my dad had sort yeah. of here and there. Uh, were also interesting influences, but I had I've got older half sisters as well, so I've got like they're like aunts to me, so I've got like those kind of influences as well. I think like my family is very complicated, which I think I've come to think of. If it's it's not a strength exactly, like well it's a strength, but it's not better than other other people's strengths. I guess that's what like you're saying. Like there's a strength to having a nuclear successful yeah. family, but there's also a success to having a in yeah. a very complicated family because it prepares you for a lot of uh, of the of the complications of life because life isn't simple and if your family's complicated you already know that before you go out into the world you definitely identify yourself through it like my friend had to do something at university which was like for some reason they had to write down three things that identified them and she was asking me like what three things you know what would you say and she was thinking do I say like and she was going through them like female would I say that's like a big identifier of me or middle class would I say these things and I was saying like I probably would put like broken home as one of those <laughs> things because I do like I do think yeah. it's part of me and like you say not in a particularly negative or positive way but it's definitely in there as a as yeah. a character trait right yeah. like in whatever way that manifests well trying to be a people pleaser I think comes a little bit from that like yeah. in my experience my job within the family was always to try and get every one of these different mm. people who didn't get on to yeah, try yeah, and get yeah. on and that's quite a lot, of, a lot of anxiety yeah a lot of anxiety <laughs> and a lot of but, but it also means that you are prepared to compromise as well okay. I, I hope yeah. so it's like it, there's strengths and weaknesses that right. you're getting from being in that role but sure. I mean do you reckon you were in a sort of similar position or like yeah um, you, you strike me as having similar levels of sort of like uh anxiety I guess as I do uh, you know. it's just the caffeine no. um, yeah I don't know I, I guess yeah I did just want everyone to get along at one point it was only me that was talking to everyone in the family yeah that's it isn't it yeah so that's like my moment. brother didn't talk to my mum for like three years and then didn't talk to Janet from another planet for like two more years after that so she'd come into the room and he'd walk out even like when he was living there like because he was brought up by my dad, he was allowed to have this kind of, I think... Tribalism. Sort yeah, of thing, yeah, and sort of, I think that he was influenced, by, you know, and sort of that kind of blatant rudeness in someone's house, he was allowed to do, I don't know. So <laughs> I was the only person talking to everyone. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was probably still better than, yeah, like I said, still lots of influences on that. I don't know. It's kind of a long time ago now. I know. It's a weird one. Yeah. See, you think it's a long time ago now, then I'm 31, it's even longer, <laughs> like, looking back at childhood and when we're like right my dad's 89 jesus thinking about yeah. his childhood must be very strange yeah. for him you know? yeah you get confused about what actually happened and like, well, you t- yeah. well your memories aren't aren't reliable either i mean i'm sure you've had this experience of like different members of the family remember different incidents differently yeah. and then you're like oh god am i right are they yeah. right who knows you know, it doesn't. It, doesn't, it gets. To, hopefully, it gets to a point where it doesn't matter. No. But that that's never quite the case with family, because even though you don't think it matters, you get back together and suddenly it matters a little bit. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So did you always live in the same place growing up then? So I grew up in a place called Rislip, 
right? Which is um, and west, has a land right, of leather. I know West right, Rice Slip from the tube. Yeah, this train terminates at West Rice Slip. Uh -huh. Yeah, um, and it's just one of those generic. I mean, I, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Rice Slip, actually. Like, when I was a teenager, I was, like, really snobby about it. I just wanted to get out of Rice Slip, because it's just, you know, suburbia in, in many ways. But now, I actually might be moving back there soon, and I kind of, like, understand why my mum lives there, and it's actually quite nice, quite peaceful. It's not very exciting. It's quite hard to be different in Rice Slip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Um, so I grew up there. I went to boarding school. I went to Quaker boarding school in Somerset for a couple of years, which was interesting. And then Manchester Uni, went to Amsterdam. Well, it was on exchange in Amsterdam for six months. I've lived there oh, cool. for seven months, got a job there. I love Amsterdam. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. I'd heard your story about oh, right. your, Yeah, yeah. It made me think of the. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, I, I like I like Amsterdam a lot. I've been there like three times. Yeah. But I'd like to go more. Yeah. But I think they're going to change things in Amsterdam at some point, so it won't necessarily be as fun a place to go. But yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting experience living there because I thought about staying on because I had a job there, and I just thought no. I mean, it's the sort of place I'd bring up children, um, or you know, like because it's really safe, but it's actually quite tame. As a city, like it's quite small, you can cycle around it in half yep. an hour. These are the things I like about it. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. But that I thought, as a young, youngish person, yeah. I need to be in London and you know doing the things that you can't maybe want, you don't want to experience when you're older. But like I'd go for it's such a safe place. Like, I'd go for a run at like 3 a.m. in Amsterdam. I'd never do that in Brixton, really. Yeah, no, like, I found it very safe. As yeah, well. like I felt it was safe. And like because of all the taxing and everything from the weed and the prostitutes or whatever like the streets are really clean especially where I lived I lived in the nice like district and um, like your rubbish gets collected collected every day like there's just a lot of like infrastructure and it's there beautiful. You know I mean? it's, it's a really beautiful, beautiful place yeah. like I think if you haven't been to Amsterdam probably everything that people think about is like red lights and, yeah, know, and coffee yeah, shops yeah, yeah. but actually it's just really beautiful like canals like it's like it's like equivalent of Venice really like yeah. it's one of the canal cities it's all about yeah. the canals yeah. It's great. And bikes. So canals and bikes. Yeah. Actually, it's mad, actually. Crossing a road in Amsterdam is mad. There's yeah. too many different kinds of transport happening at the same time. I actually bought my bike. I bought a bike in Amsterdam and brought it over on the plane. So I've got my, like, Dutch souvenir now. Oh, I right. cycle around Brixton, which was good until I lived on the top of a hill, which I do now, because um, it's a brilliant bike for, like, flat roads. No one ever steals it because it's not handlebar brakes, but push, you know, yeah. um, post brake. And... Uh, yeah, but now it's really hard getting up hills. But it's like my little souvenir from Amsterdam, my Dutch bike. Yeah. So you lived in Amsterdam for a bit and then you came to London? Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, came back to London after uni. Your story about your rat was like one of the things that kind of resonated with me when you in that story is that, like I sort of alluded to earlier on, of like being, like not having any friends when you're 12 years old and your parents are splitting up and you've got no one to really like you don't have a confidant but that's the problem you need you kind of need one yeah. at that time in that situation and I didn't have one either I think that the experience of being isolated and like like that makes it hard to, to, to sort of get on at school like with people as well but when I was 12 I didn't just have my parents split up I also moved cities so I went into a school where I didn't know anybody and then I I really didn't know anybody and then I was kind of bullied for years <laughs> You were at school and then you went to Somerset for a board. I mean, what was your school like? I went to like an all-girls 
private school in London for like 10 years, which was very kind of uh, hothouse, kind of exam board, league table type school. And then for a variety of reasons, I wasn't really getting on with my mum and I think they sort of, you know, it would have, it's kind of a way for me to move out before I was actually maybe old enough to move out. Um, I went to sixth form boarding school in Somerset and a school called Sidcot. It was a Quaker school, um, and I, like, I really I owe a lot to that school. Like, it was only two years, but they, I'd gone from this sort of hot house to this school that was all about ethos and the Quaker ethos, and it's very kind of relaxed and it was a mixed school, and you could, uh, you know, wear your own clothes and you know, smoke. <laughs> couldn't smoke weed, but that wasn't, you know, it couldn't happen. We got on the roof and you smoke weed and. They would much more about like fostering your individual strength, yeah, you know, yeah. rather than like what exam grade you got. It was kind of a good time to move out in a weird right, way, like yeah. to be in that kind of. It's almost like a being a student before a student. You're yeah, living and in your then own for place, that reason, I think uni was a little bit disappointing to me. Because you'd already did, done it. I'd already done it. I'd already had those kind of like wow, we're away from home experiences, and yeah, it was. It's a good school, and the, the Quaker thing is interesting as well because it's. Um, like I'm, I wouldn't identify as a Quaker, but it's a really interesting religion. Oh yeah, some, so, some yeah. of my really good friends are Quakers. Are they? So, yeah, because yeah. their their slogan is um, that of God within everyone, which is quite a vague sentiment in a way, and actually suits quite a lot of people in this age, right? Yeah. And the reason it's quite frustrating when you talk about. Quakerism to people because Quakers are so like let everyone be and quite not about preaching not many people know like a lot of the time you'll say Quaker and they'll say oh are those the people with the funny hats they make the say, oats yeah, yeah yeah which is a fallacy about the, about the oats by the way the um, Quaker oats they just the marketing people just put a Quaker face on the oats because they thought that's a figure of trust and actually it's got nothing to do with Quakers anyway yeah but Cadbury's Cadbury's and Roundtree they're Quakers but yeah no the, so every in this school every um, Wednesday we would have 15 minutes of silence collective silence in a meeting house right which is really interesting to have like a whole school like all those different ages yeah, sit in silence and then anyone could stand up and say something and it's like kind of reminds me of spark in a way yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. very democratic the process it's not about who has the loudest voice or is interrupting the most or has been chosen to say something but anyone can say something so invariably it would be the guy with Asperger's syndrome that would stand up and, and you know reel off his, his data and he was allowed to do that and it was really That's nice cool. that there's a space for someone to you know that he had that environment where he could That's really you know cool, so, and people would just listen to him and there was like, that accepting nature no one you know took the piss or anything That's like, really good. Mm, yeah and like so you went to a private school first and then a boarding school yeah. so I guess you must have had money in the household or you were uh, on scholarship yeah. you might have been I don't know yeah, not going to assume so, anything yeah. money yeah I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, my brother that went. is definitely like that's definitely <laughs> evidence that money? you had money in the household yeah I guess we did I never really had to think about it yeah that means you, that means you <laughs> well, were, I guess you I were mean, comfortable <laughs> yeah comfortable to an extent yeah. I mean my brother I, it wasn't like a, a surefire thing that we, I would go to private school I think I uh, I went to a state school when I was younger and I took an interest in learning and apparently was quite cur curious so I decided to make that investment yet yeah. yeah, with my brother um, and I always joke that it's because they love me more than him but I'm a favourite child but actually they didn't. he didn't have that kind of academic interest so he went to state school all his life so it's just yeah. Yeah, more of a 
I, and I guess, I mean, it, you had three parents as well, which probably means that it's easier, like, financially as well for a family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, true. Uh, it's, that's another reason why it's good to have... Uh, right, money know, as well. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> other, pa- other parents in your life. And being brought up by a group rather than by an in- individual, you know. Yeah. That, the, the kids with the hardest time, you know, are the ones with one parent. But I kind of really hoped when my parents got other partners is that they, I might have some, like... I remember my dad went out with this woman for a little while who um, had loads of money and, and like a really attractive son this is oh perfect and, yeah well exactly she lived in well, this perfect pen- in a kind of, kind of weird, fantasy way yeah, yeah. and um, I remember she lived in this penthouse and me and my brother would be like to, well he was he was attractive quite cool and like that would have made my family like have an edge of cool oh yeah um, I was still quite young but um, I remember me and my brother being like yeah we really like her I, I, we think she's a really nice dude. <laughs> really think you should stick with that one, the one with the money yeah, yeah, yeah. and the attractive side. Just stay, stay with that one. But alas, that didn't, um, that didn't last. That thing he had. Yeah, there you go. Well, so, um, so you were relatively com- comfortable off when you were a kid, but yeah. like you're not that comfortable off now, are you? Because you're like no. struggling a little bit. I yeah. think. Well, like most, like most people are. Is it are. my clothes? Or? No, no, it's not your clothes. <laughs> it's just like I know that you're like yeah. thinking about going and doing. Uh, being a chef in France, which is why we like we had to like quickly get in before get yeah, yeah. get me before I'm gone. Yeah. Um, and I know that you like kind of in a period of like working out what you want to do in your life. Like right. before we before we were, had the conversation, you were like, I don't know how I don't know how I'll be able to respond to the what you do now, which yeah. I thought you you responded to perfectly. You know, yeah. perfectly well. You actually had three jobs. Yeah. M- more than more than most people. Yeah, I that's asked, taking you know, them all. That's why there's no jobs. Yeah. yeah. There, there you go. But I mean, like you're you're sort of struggling to sort of fight. You're like mid, you're mid twenties. Yeah. And a lot of people at that age are struggling to sort of like. I don't. I don't I mean, like do the use think? of the word struggling. All right. I, I prefer. I, I prefer I like meandering. Is meandering. Nice. You know, good, because yeah. actually, I think I'm quite happy in that state of like. That's true. Actually. You know. Um, you're right. What's the point when you you know you found your thing? I, I probably would start getting itchy feet again. I'm, you know, yeah. I think there's definitely a vague direction that my kind of interests and employment's going in. But I've given up answering the question like, "What's your dream job?" Or like, "Where do you You know, because I, I think that that will, if I carry on doing the things I love and you know, making myself happy in a productive way, that will manifest into a good job for me. Yeah. But I don't really have that kind of like goal in the distance that I can see that clearly. <laughs> but, you, but you don't feel like you're struggling. Well, that's good. Um, yeah. Some days, not, not, some not. Yeah. I mean, strugg- yeah. <laughs> Struggling's a very loaded word. You're absolutely yeah. right to bring me up on it, really. People just want an answer, though, don't they? Like, it's just a kind of typical kind of, like, what do you do? People want what to do you, you want box, to do? Yeah. And the, the only reason people are asking that, I think, is because they're trying to find their their calling and their, their thing. So you get it a lot, like, oh, what... What do you do, and you say these things, but but where do where do you, what, what's your dream job? What do you want from life? And people like to have that definition of you. Yeah. And they're trying to find the definition for themselves, really, like just by getting these. You know, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, but one one of the, one of the things that you're uh, meandering through <laughs> is uh, is you're trying out like comedy, aren't you? Right, like, the yeah, last, yeah, yeah. last couple of weeks, you've done a couple yeah. of gigs. Why did you decide to do that? Really enjoy it. I find it really addictive, you know. Really addictive. Did you have a good gig like the first time? The first time was bad, but well, I guess you've already done Spark, which have been good Spark. gigs. So. I guess I've done quite a lot of performance type stuff, like not necessarily directly, but I used to be a tour guide on the open right, buses. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, feel 
reasonably comfortable on stage and I really like attention. So like I was saying this to someone last night. I was saying this to someone last night, like I'll ask you this question. You know when it's your birthday and people are singing happy birthday to you yeah. and all looking at you, do you enjoy that? Or did not enjoy it? Um no. You don't enjoy it. Okay, interesting. But I do think I do like attention. Right. But not that kind of okay. attention. So I'm one of those people that like when they're singing that song, I'll be like, I'll stop it. Like, but I'll really enjoy it. I really like okay. it. Like all the attention yeah, yeah, on yeah. me. So So you're the best person to sort of like do that whole kind of getting a cake to be delivered to the restaurant <laughs> and everybody sort of like with the guitar players or whatever yeah. go to circling Yeah, I you. kind of like fantasize about like flash mobs done in my honour. <laughs> 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 so yeah like I think partly that's probably the reason that I'm doing stand up whether I'm funny or not it's yet to be decided but um, <laughs> my, yeah my first gig was quite difficult because it was a bit of a a blokey gig a lot of rehypnal jokes and rape jokes flying oh, around God. and then you yeah. know and 20 acts and everyone's mates there and a blokey yeah just kind of like you know and first gig you know um, I think I was the only person who it was the first time for and they didn't know that so that was tough I really wanted to do it again like, did you, for some were, reason, you were you tempted to tell like rape jokes and rehypnal jokes <laughs> to, to fit in or did you did you resist uh, the temptation I don't have a massive catalogue of rape no one, jokes no, yeah, but, no but, one should have <laughs> but no I think I think probably in comedy like learning more about the circuit there is definitely an element of that I know people that have got into stand up like blokes and and actually left because of that quality of the open mic circuit and it just being this kind of testosterone filled and quite sort of like that sort of low-key confidence it's yeah. confidence but not real confidence you know and they've they left it for that reason but um i don't know i was really propelled to continue and, and actually found that in a very intense situation that i liked um so i did it again night before last yeah, that's right. actually a comp- the compare to that night I, I was that Came yeah, to the, yeah. yeah, so he and I think he took a bit of a chance on me, really, being like, you know, you can perform, you can perform if you bring your mates, kind of like, yeah. <laughs> like my brother used to do with the parties. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, it went really well, and people laughed. And I think that's I had an easy gig because it's a really nice, really nice comedy gig. That one, it's in the Priory Arms um, in Stockwell every Wednesday. Um, because I had friends there that laughed, and it was quite comfortable. Um, so it was a good second gig, but I've still got a long way to go. Um, I'm green. Do you, do you, I'm green. Are you sort of doing true story comedy, or are you? Yeah, doing I'm, I'm, jokes? I'm st- story rather than yeah. jokes. To a, pull from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're generally my favourite kind of comedians anyway. Tell stories. Yeah. It's quite hard in a five-minute set to get like a, a good sense of a story, you know, like through. Yeah. Or you have to just concentrate on one, and it's it's not. It's much more of a craft than I ever imagined. Like you know, because good comedians make it look easy and I've just been learning things recently that like actually my friend who did comedy like two years ago I went to see him and thought oh you know not maybe maybe someone should tell him this isn't the career for him yeah. saw him the other day amazing really really funny and you realise it's a craft like yeah, and, you know I've had that experience yeah. with comedians and with other kinds of performers like you see them like I've, one of the things I've learnt to try not to do is write people off on one performance right. yeah. because not even if they're even if they're good right. they yeah. Yeah, they yeah. might have a bad day, sure. but 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 you're right. It is a craft. All, all, yeah. I think all creative things are on yeah. one level a craft and one level an art. And so it's like there's 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 the natural kind of instinct that is the art, the thing that you can't quantify, the thing you can't actually describe. But most of it's like 
working like work like yeah. actually working out yeah. how it works and yeah, yeah, yeah. like sometimes you can't learn until you throw yourself on a stage right, but yeah. then but then you're like oh my god this is how much I've got to learn because yeah. now I've done it I, I know what what's missing yeah. Yeah. yeah and you get kind of more comfortable on this I've certainly found in the last few years because I've been doing a lot more like comparing and yeah. uh, telling true stories and stuff I'm sort of finding my my voice the way of being myself authentically yeah. on stage that's a big thing isn't it finding yeah. your voice they talk about finding your voice apparently um, who's that uh, comedian that's very very glib famous com- you know um, Jack D oh okay Jack D he uh, apparently was, there's a story about him could be true could be false but he did comedy when he started out in the same way you know hey guys how's it going anyone single in the audience you know that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing put on that com- comedian's voice and did it for ages and just tried to be you know perky enough to pull people's attention and then he went to this gig and he was just like fuck this like I can't I can't do stand up anymore I'm sick of it and said to his mates like you know this is my last stand up gig I'm sick of it it's just not doing as well as I thought I would so he got up on stage and he did his act just really depressed and delivered it in that Jack D way right yeah. and went down a store and they'd like they, they found his voice you know well, they found that was him talking exactly, in the way that yeah. he talks and his personality and that's yeah, it's that uniqueness that people are looking for. Well, I think I that's what I found about Spark. If you're yourself authentically on stage, then the audience responds to that. Yeah. Like, I used to try and be what, what they would want me to be or try and work out what they'd want me to be, but now I realise that if I'm just myself and as open and honest as possible, actually, people respond to that in a completely different way than I ever thought because I'm quite used to, during my school life, being myself and that not being popular okay. with audiences, yeah, let's yeah, say. Yeah. Um, and so it was a surprise to me that actually sort of naming these things, like naming my own neurosis on stage that I feel like is not relatable to people, for example, it will be relatable to people. Like the weirder your thoughts often, the more someone will come up at the end and say, like, the, like after the sports spark the yeah. other day, like somebody came up to me and said, I knew a boy just like that, like, because yeah. like, I described, it's in, it's in episode one of, of this podcast actually, like I described a changing room experiences when I was uh, 11 of like a boy with a lot of pubic hair and uh, uh, and feelings of inadequacy from all the other boys and and uh, like that was like the thing that was responded to really well and someone came up and like like said uh, you know I recognize that like be weird basically like embrace your weirdness well I think just the more the more subjective what you do is sometimes the more universal it becomes because putting putting out something true that's a universally we can all relate to that like it doesn't matter if yeah if if, if you're watching a a piece of fiction you don't have to have had the same experiences as the actor to enjoy that thing you're watching but the actor has to convince you that it's true what they're experiencing okay so those emotions underneath the like story are all kind of universal that's that's what people respond to whether that's about a rat or you know that you still relate to the emotion of feeling alone or whatever it was that's yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, 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 the best, the best way of demonstrating, yeah, the best way of demonstrating a universal is by really responding to a specific. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah and then they feel it. And it's it's a, good, a, there's a guy. I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast. There's a podcast called WTF uh, with Mark Maron, which is an American comedian who does conversations. It's kind of an influence of, of this show uh, with comedians. So he talks to loads of comedians. So it's quite if you're looking to 
learn about comedy I would recommend it as something to listen to but also one of the things he always talks about is that he thinks that comedians like build their clown when they're young and then they get to a point where they have to decide to throw that clown clown away or spend the rest of their careers being that clown like like that moment where you've, you've found what works for the audience but then you have to sort of almost throw that away and find what works like like this kind of old, the ultimate honesty kind of thing at the, at the end of it. Okay, so your clown is like your like defense mechanism in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah? yeah right. The thing okay. that you think, the, the, the gimmick, the yeah, gimmick yeah, that yeah. you find. Yeah, like Janet from another planet yeah, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. it doesn't mean that you have to like not use gimmicks, but it's, mm. it's, but it's a, but I mean, I thought that, that, that seemed very true to me like recently I've been thinking about that because I think it's not just comedians that do that I think singers do that and people like my friend William Hansen who is the like world's leading etiquette expert he has this character this persona that must have been like kind of tapping into that clown he obviously saw that like he was kind of quite a sort of precise and precocious child uh, and like sort of formed this kind of persona now um, that his family don't necessarily have, which is he is the leading voice on etiquette, and he goes on things like Big Brother's Big Mouth, and like you know talks okay. about ed- etiquette. Wow. He'd be like one of those, you know. Now we have the etiquette expert yeah, and talk yeah. about the royal wedding, and has this, you know, sort of hilarious persona. And it is, it's funny because you can kind of see like no one's like that, no one's that extreme. Like he has these sort of lines, yeah. and yeah, it's interesting. He's sort of like cut, basically carved a very specific career out of his clown maybe well actors do it as well yeah. like I mean like I, I think Jim Carrey's a good example of that he built his kind of clown like persona yeah. and then he sort of did like he now he does other films like The Truman Show or like Eternal yeah, yeah, Sunshine yeah. where he's like this is what I'm like when I take this this mask off you know this is this is the kind of emotions I can experience if I take this mask off and but it's like when the clown gets built like Al Pacino I think is an actor that built their built his clown like late in his career but then he's stuck there now like right. every, every time you see Al Pacino now he is yeah. like a set series of acting yeah. ticks if you like um, whereas when he was younger he could be all sorts of different things so it's, I don't know yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an interesting it's I a like kind it. of useful way of thinking I'll think, about I'll it I'll think yeah. more on that clown thing because the first <laughs> I've heard of it but it will probably be a theme that I'm thinking about well that's cool yeah. it's always nice to have done that for someone so I mean yeah it's been really it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you the last question, because that's how, you see, you were like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to fill an hour, but we're on like... Well, I was just being modest. 54, well, yeah. <laughs> well, we're on 54 minutes now, but okay. the last question that I ask people is, do you have anything that you want to plug? Follow me on Twitter. Um, What's your Twitter what handle? people say. Charlie Lucy Haw, <laughs> which is now I'm going to say because I'm so funny, because that how, that's how you can remember it. Um, that's Charlie Lucy, C H A R L E Y. Yeah, I got that wrong on, when I was writing your yeah. name earlier on. So I guess you know maybe if I'm doing more comedy, it might be useful to follow me, and then you can see where I'm gigging. Um, yeah. And you? Yeah, sorry. You, sorry, you're, you're, no, that's. Well, definitely people should check it, check that out, and I'll put a link as well to the Spark story you told, and anything that when this comes out, let, like if, I, I don't know when it will be, it could be like a long time so keep me posted so I can tr- like if there's something coming up sure. I'll definitely link it in yeah. so you're going off to France though is that I happening I don't think I'm going to go you're not no, going no I think I might oh. I'm, I was thinking not- what does Normandy have that Ricelet doesn't so <laughs> 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 I think I'm going to go back to Ricelet for a while okay yeah just because I um, I don't know just 
just feel like that's the better thing to do. I feel like I don't really like things that feel like an escape. And um, the, 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 the cooking job in France would be, it's not in a particularly good restaurant or hotel, it's in a French immersion school, so it'd be brilliant for like getting my French up to scratch, but I wouldn't be able to continue the other things like the comedy. And yeah, it seems like yeah, you are sort of really developing some stuff here. Yeah, and I've just kind of made those, you know, now I know like where to go, like, for, you know, it takes a while to find those, like, scenes that you're interested in and I've got those now and I don't want to just escape from it and just cook for six months it'll be an experience but I feel like yeah I mean like my family are getting on really well now like my my mum getting on better than we used to my brother's doing really interesting things um living in this squat and talking about bitcoin so I I'm really interested in that so I just like yeah I'm just really enjoying life at the moment um I don't want to escape from it. I, I booked this France thing when I was less happy and settled in London. Now I'm more, I might just suck it off. Wicked. Yeah. The other thing, just before we end up, that you were saying beforehand, and you mentioned just like a, a minute ago, so I thought I should at least go yeah. back to it, is, is, is Bitcoin. You've Bitcoin. Been, yeah, you're really interested in Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm probably, you probably caught me at a stage where I'm like a bit Bitcoin obsessive because... Um, I've been staying at Bitcoin HQ, uh-huh. which I, it's, uh, I won't disclose the location of, but it's uh, like this community of squatters who are—they call them like the Geekarati. Is that a word? Like you know, like the geek, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a word, but it sounds like the kind of word people invent. I don't know if I've got invent. it quite right, but it doesn't because it doesn't have a great ring to it. But you know what I mean? No, it's like, like geek, glitterati, glitterati, or, or So Bitcoin is a online. They should call themselves the Bitterati, surely. The Bitterati, because they are yeah. Bitcoin people. Anyway, so yeah, no, what is Bitcoin? Yeah, you were saying um, it's an online, un- unregulated virtual currency which uh, was sort of created in, I think, 2009. And the idea is you can anonymously send money to anyone from anywhere instantly. So at the moment, there's like kind of negative implications of it because there's the Silk Road, which is a website you can buy drugs and illegal things for Bitcoins from because you can't be tracked. Um, So that's the sort of association now. But like with everything, when it first comes out, people kind of like to talk about the negatives and you know, not realise the potential for good as well. So like when the internet came out, people would be like, it's for terrorism and porn. Actually, we realised it's a lot of this. It's also for other things. Yeah, there's also lots of other uses for it. Uh, So like, I mean, I don't know that much about Bitcoin because because my brother's living and he's like a big Bitcoin person. There's all these people, these developers. It's just a fascinating insight for me at the moment. Like, I'm just finding it really interesting. And really, virtual currency, in my opinion, will be something that we use in the future whether bitcoin is like the friends reunited to what facebook was right sure. right it's the it's the concept and the technology that may be you know bought out by google or someone that with the infrastructure to make it u- usable to the common man and maybe regulate well, with online banking we almost do have yeah like uh like a virtual currency now anyway yeah but exactly. it does seem like virtual, one step pe- yeah. on from that is makes sense yeah completely but the only problem is if everyone started using bitcoin like the roads would be dilapidated the schools wouldn't work anymore and we'd go back to living in victorian england so well know. it depends what you can what what you can pay for bit with bitcoin you know, like, yeah like how it how that develops but one of the things because like, i've i've heard a few things about like because i'm always got my ear to the the podcast yeah. so i hear like I'm, like i've heard a few different accounts of bitcoin 
Um, and like, it's one of the things about it, I think at the moment, is it's like in a weird grey area of is it a currency or is it a, a, a product? Like, because you can kind of like its worth can change like finance like how many like I guess it's an exchange rate but right. like people look at it of like is it a thing that you have like is it a is it a is it property or is it currency that's kind of like it's in right. this weird but, but it position. has so you know how it's created is it's like the um, it's the answer to a really weird like a really long and complicated mathematical puzzle so that takes like a computer whirring for like three days to create so the people that are creating bitcoins are doing this mad algorithm mathematical puzzle that creates a bitcoin at the end of it which is a number and there's only like 21 million of those outcomes that can exist from this equation which is why it's finite which is why it's kind of different to money so you couldn't have quantitative easing so it's actually much more similar to gold because that process of that mathematical equation is the equivalent of mining um, it's the mining yeah. process and the reward for that mining is a bitcoin which that miner can then sell yeah. and and so I guess the inherent quality of it is that in labour and that geek's labour that he's, he's put into creating that bitcoin that's kind of a value in itself yeah. I mean, it makes it less kind of just like a number in a but because it's finite like yeah. that's why you can like the, the price of it can go up in yeah. real money terms so like yeah. that, that's a kind of a, like light gold before uh, like everything's supposed if, if we reclaimed all of our notes it wouldn't work yeah, exactly. it's this supposed to be for an amount of gold but the, the gold doesn't exist yeah. anymore but I guess the big difference between gold and bitcoin is end of civilization you can melt that gold down and make it into teeth or whatever, right, something yeah, yeah, useful yeah, yeah. whereas if bitcoin, like bitcoin will be gone when our internet goes yeah no it's true <laughs> yeah no that's that's a very good point and like yeah but it's no different to money in no, that way it's because, no different for money in that yeah way. money is paper and yeah it doesn't like you say you can go to the bank of england and claim that gold for the, what it's supposed to be backed up with paper's more useful than than, than nothing though isn't it right. i guess even that like you could at least you could you could you know you could get all of the the, the the notes and mash them up and make them into like writing paper or something i don't or know smoke cigarettes with 20 pound notes sure that would my be, average weekend well, we might as well do that <laughs> society's gone up I, yeah i'll only ever be rolling with 20s when like you know Actually, when, when in, society goes in zimbabwe they literally had that i think where like the notes that the money was printed on was uh cheaper than buying toilet roll so the money actually became, you know, you could, yeah. you, you know, these things happen. Well, there's right? weird things that have happened. Like, I can't remember the country. There's a really good This American Life episode where they're talking about money. Uh, but there's, there was a country that just, like, all their money messed up. So they just invented new money. And, like, that got everything to kind of calm down. They just, like, invented a new currency and, like, uh, just completely changed uh, sort of fortunes and everything and okay. by just inventing a new currency and saying, actually everything's worth one you know one of these instead of like and it became always the kind of universal currency uh, where was that uh, i don't know the country okay. off the top of my head but people can check it out because it's this american life um so if they google this american life and money i need to learn more about money bitcoin's got me massively back and i'm not that i've ever known that much about it but into economics and these sorts of things so i'm gonna well, if you ever get any secrets, let me know. I'm really bad at thinking about money. It's yeah. like one of my main things I'm bad at. Yeah. 
so it's yeah it's been a real pleasure getting better grades I've said that twice this time because of uh, I don't know why but there you go I think I guess if something becomes a catchphrase why not overuse it so the more you overuse it it's that whole thing if you say something enough it starts being annoying but then you go through to the other side and it becomes funny again so right. yeah. I don't know if it ever was funny though so I wonder it's how is it, is it like how Alan Partridge feels when he says knowing me Alan Partridge knowing you yeah, like I'm he, getting to that stage yeah. where I'm like, it feels a little bit weird to say it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted because although it, je- it invariably oh, has, it's lost I've its said it too many times. It's like saying, yeah. I love you. Yeah. It's like that. Well, I love you too, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you finally well, said that. I know go. you wanted to say we'll this on Catch it on, 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 on mic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 it, it devalues itself. But then I guess that... I love you is a similar thing of like it loses its value but after enough times it gets its value back again like after 12 years of being with somebody I love you suddenly means a lot more than what it did in at five years or whatever right. Do you know what I mean like I've discovered in my own relationship yeah. so yeah but anyway thank the, you the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience okay. which again is another useless used overused phrase for me now goodbye audience <laughs> goodbye goodbye when we had this conversation, Charlie had done a couple of gigs as a stand-up, but since then she's been really hitting the circuit really hard. She's also, she did a course in stand-up, she came to Edinburgh with me doing stand-up tragedy where she performed stand-up as well as doing true storytelling. She is really excellent and she's learning her craft like we talked about in this episode. She really is committed to learning her craft. And in fact, she's sharing her experience of learning that craft as a podcast. That podcast is called Make Me Funny. You can find it on Charlie's SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com forward slash Charlie hyphen Lucy hyphen Harrison. And it's really good. I really enjoy it. Her and Jet Beavers, who is another person who is learning the craft of stand-up comedy, talk to each other try out their new material and work on it together and she also has set up her own night it's a a comedy night called see you next thursday and the next time that that is happening is next thursday the 3rd of october it starts at 7 30 and it takes place at the royal george which is a pub very very close to tottenham court road station you can also find see you next thursday as a page on facebook you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at uba podcast you can find it on facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.